This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hi fam, and welcome back to another episode of Reclaim Me. I'm so excited to bring you back part two with Andrew Carpenter. Just a reminder, if you haven't already listened to last week's episode or part one with Andrew, then please go back and listen to that first. Otherwise, this won't make much sense. But let's get stuck back writing where we left off. I've often said there should be at least a sliding scale for images, for instance. You know, if you have a thousand images, that should be minimum six months. If you have you know, a million images, that should be a, mil- a minimum of God knows how many years. But it's, you know, again, you're when people are looking for this material, they are going to the nth degree to find it. I mean, I we have an IT um, worker at, at work and I said to him one day, look, I, I just can't grasp how, like, this dark web thing works. Like, do you know how it works? He's like, I, I don't even know how to get on it. And the fact that an IT professional of, you know, many years' experience doesn't know how to access this shows how desperate the offenders are to actually go on this dark web to find it. And you know, a lot of the time the the material they possess is you know, traded throughout the dark web, however they use it, but a lot of the time where police actually find their um, documents, they're actually, um, they're actually have some images of themselves on there with children. You know, it's very rare that it's only images not involving the offender. What that shows is the intent. Like they know it's not like they were just on Pornhub and something came up that said teen and actually they were 13 when they thought that they were 19. You know, it's this isn't what that is. You know, child sexual abuse images and child sexual abuse material that's distributed includes, and I'm sorry to say, but trigger warning, infants. It includes yeah. very, very young children. It is not just images. When we th- people hear images, they think photos. It's not. A lot of it's videos with sound you know these are horrible things and it's know. never I've, I've luckily i've never had to view any of it as part of any case of mine like if, if there's images the police deal with that right away but some of the people i've dealt with that spoke about it they say you look at this you look at an image and you can tell right away this person's not even near legal age yeah. and yeah it, it's just horrendous that this this is a topic that we still have to talk about in 2023 yeah, and the fact that, you know, somebody's had to download a Tor browser to access the dark web to find all of the locations, like being on a dark web browser is not like going on Google and searching child sexual abuse material. Like that doesn't happen. You have to know people. You have to go through chat rooms. You have to be very heavily invested to get access to these things. So like all in my mind as well, you're showing intent the whole way. You know what you're doing. You're reinforcing the bad pathways. You know that what you're doing is wrong. You're continuing to do it whether you become a distributor of those things as well and a creator of those things, like 
there is so many levels to how horrible and horrific these crimes are. And it just, again, we are seeing so many people who are committing these or being caught with them and they're giving a slap on the, given a slap on the wrist as if they're, they're not a threat to the public. They're not a threat to children. One thing I don't get is if someone's got 10,000 images, how many of those images have they distributed? You know, it, it's not like you have one photo and you keep it to yourself. These sickos, they use it as like tender where they, you know, oh, I'll swap you, you know, 100 videos for 100 videos. Like it's it, it's not a normal. Yeah, and it's it's disgusting to think that they're using images of abuse of as commodities, but that's effectively what they're trying to do. So you're saying like you've had to, you do civil law. Where were you like we're talking before about you giving advice to people? What's maybe the difference to somebody? Because a lot of people listen from, um, you know, the States and the UK. And I think across the board, civil and criminal are both similar in different um, countries as well. But what would be the difference for somebody maybe who wanted to seek some general advice about what their options might be? whether they be a young person and this happened within five years ago or somebody who's maybe in their 60s and this is a historical case of child sexual abuse? If it happened at an institution or a school, I mean, they've always got insurance, so you can sue them. But it all comes down to effectively whether or not the offender has any assets to their name to, to go after them. Um, and you know, just look for a civil lawyer who specialises in injury and just simply go and get advice. I mean, if, if the offender has assets... Most lawyers will do it on a you know no win no fee or a conditional basis, um, but unfortunately you can't get blood out of a stone. If that offender has nothing, then you know it's not worth suing them. But um, I mean, look at the modus operandi of many offenders. They're normally middle aged, cashed up, worked for years, and um, you know it's very rare that you look at a person and you go, "Oh, really?" Like it's. You can always tell right away if someone's a bit weird. It's it's never someone that's that surprises you when they've um, they've been caught with this. But it's it's definitely something you want to try and make sure that you don't run an action against someone that has nothing because it's going to re-traumatize you. Like you don't run an action with a view that they'll try and get a confession out of it because if if they have nothing, they're just like, well, what do I have to lose? Yeah. Um, so to make sure you get legal advice. But if if police aren't going to do something, don't give up. You know, go to a different police station, uh, speak to another um, another officer or um, you know, go to a local member of parliament or a victim's rights commissioner and say, you know, I'm not getting a fair uh, fair go here. I need someone to listen to me. Uh, well, look what happened in, in Queensland a while ago. There was 1,623 charges of 91 people. And that offender could have been stopped in 2021 if the police had actually listened to a person complaining. And, you know, it's you need, if there's if there's a lot at stake or there's children's safety at stake, you need to you know, start grinding and really make sure you, you try and get anyone, get people to listen to you. Absolutely. And I think one of the greatest assets as well is these community uh, peer networks because it allows for you know, that lived experience to really come through. So somebody can say, oh, um, I went through my uh, civil lawsuit with Andrew Carpenter. Here's his details. He was really great. That's kind of a really great way for people to seek that help and advice as well. 
um, whether it be just a contact or in their local area or, you know, for example, somebody who's already gone through like a commissioner or something like that and had to give evidence and they can also maybe give you a little bit more of an insight into what's to come. So I think there are different, so many different avenues, whether it's from people who've experienced it themselves or people like yourself who who are acting on behalf of these victims as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I didn't start this law change to pump my own profile. So if there's people that have lawyers close to them or they've used before, simply go to them. Like, it doesn't have to be me. It could be any lawyer that's that's doing this. So it's just about who people feel comfortable with. You know, some people might prefer a female lawyer or an older lawyer. It, it really doesn't matter. If you find someone that's done a few of these before and you feel comfortable with them, um, yeah, that's, that's really what it means. Like, if you are disclosing horrendous, um, abuse, you, your main priority is to make sure that you feel like you've been heard and, you know, there's different personalities suit different personalities. So there's plenty of lawyers out there. If you find someone you don't mess with, go to another one. But, you know, you are the driver of this vehicle and all a lawyer can do is give you advice and you um, uh, simply um, instruct them on what to do. So, um, you know, some people might want to come forward now. Some people might want to come forward in 10 years. There's no one can tell you whether, you know, you have a time period of what you need to do. But all I tell people is just, you know, always remember this is not your fault. You haven't caused this. You know, this is the offender doing this. Um, but come forward when you're ready or just talk to someone because it's amazing with the stats of one in three girls and one in five boys, how many people you might realise have actually endured this horrendous, horrendous experience in their lifetime. Yeah, and there's that community connection as well, you know, just through having a shared lived experience where you can talk to somebody and not feel like a burden or, you know, be able to leverage that. Um, But we've spoken about a lot of quite horrific and horrible outcomes and things that are really frustrating for us. Do you have any, um, I guess, good news stories where you've seen the system actually work for somebody that's come through through for you that you've obviously if abuse of a child has happened there's no good outcome to a degree there's an acknowledgement yeah. that serious harm has happened and they're going to have to deal with that for the rest of their life but do you have an example of maybe so that you know people can hear that things actually do go well sometimes for the victims yeah, I've, as well I've, I've never lost a, a matter against an offender um because a lot of the time it's you know the, the criminal side doesn't compel them to come forward and speak but when you start suing them you realize that hey you guys have to come and you know give evidence i had one guy years ago that he he pled guilty to abusing his daughter um and then a week before the um he was going to jail he sold his house which is worth about four hundred thousand dollars to his son for 20 grand and so right away i got that clawed back um, got a warrant of sale over the property and um, basically she got the entire net proceeds of the house and we just show that, hey, you try to sell this house for $20,000. Like, it's clear as day what you were trying to do. He's one of the ones we caught early. I had um, another one a little while ago where she came to see me mid-September last year and when she came to see me, I typed in the offender's address and the house is on the market. And it's sold. I've gone urgently, went to court, got a freezing order, prevented the sale from happening. Um, so preventing the, the, the money to go to them. And I basically said to him, I've got all this money locked right now. You pled guilty to abusing your daughter. Said, 
you're going to lose all of it or you're going to give her most of it. And so within three weeks of her coming to see me, she took the entire, I think all but about $30,000, the entire net proceeds of the sale of that house. I mean, I've, I've seen people sue their offenders for you know millions of dollars. If the offender only has a house, you know, that's all they've got to lose. And as soon as you tell an offender your survivor is standing up to you, you're not, you know, they're not that scared little child anymore. They're a grown ass adult and they are coming for you and they're coming for justice. I just love the look in the eyes of the offenders when they're like, oh, um, and it's it's just vindication. It's I always I always use the example to people when trying to get them to come forward, and it's completely off topic, but it, it's a roundabout way of saying the message. But I I used to play cricket back when before I realised it was not a boring sport. Um, <laughs> I used to play cricket and oval, and I used to think I couldn't hit a four on the boundary because it was so far away. My three-year-old started doing soccer classes at that same school. I could underarm a soccer ball to the boundary. You know, what looked massive to me when I was 10 years old isn't massive to me now. It just goes to show how much these offenders are cowards. You yeah. know, oh, look, now they're being confronted by a lawyer. They're being confronted with legal speak. They're being confronted with consequences. And that child that was so vulnerable that they chose to offend against, that they chose to abuse, that they chose to use their power against is now standing up against them. There's something just fucking poetic about that that I just oh, I couldn't imagine how good it would feel to see them crawl back in and be scared. It is. And, like, they, I get a lot of threats um, through work from what I do. Um, but the funny thing is when they see me in person, I'm six foot four, 110 kilos, like, and they go, Oh shit. And, and the, the best poetic justice I get is when survivors who haven't seen their offenders in you know, years and they grow up and they're bigger than them. And they realize I'm not that small kid anymore that you did this to. And just the look in their powers, eye, or look in their eyes when the offender is about to lose their house and lose everything and it's going to go to that survivor and we just say, you know, you're losing your house because of what you did. It's And the, the big thing that I'm seeing with offenders is, well, for, for example, one that had years ago that um, one of the, the rare children that was actually um, – witnessed uh, of something. So he was grooming her and then he took her for a walk in a park and started abusing her. And a lot of people called the police because they saw he was in his seventies and she was like 13 and he got found guilty. He appealed to the uh, sorry, the Supreme court, had his guilt upheld, went to the high court, um, had his case thrown out. And then when we went to sue him, his words to me were, how dare she do this to me? And I've gone, what? And so I had great pride in him losing his house after that and her getting every cent of his share of the house. But it's the same narcissistic thing. Like they still think they have the control over their survivors. And once people come forward, those handcuffs are off. They are free. They're not under the control. And then by them coming out and getting the justice they deserve, they are controlling their own narrative right now. It's no longer, you know, they're scared of this person or um, they're worried that, you know, what's going to happen. 
is the person who abused them is finally getting their comeuppance. And that's the, the, you know, the power to these people that they, they get when they come forward. It's, it's really the, the biggest acknowledgement. Like I see when I see in, institutions, a lot of the time it's not about the money. It's about the apology that they get from these institutions and the acknowledgement that uh, what they went through actually means something to them. And that's when the, the, world, you know, the weight of the world on their shoulders gets removed. And normally the, the compensation side is just the, just the cherry on top. And, and the hard thing with this area, it's, it's compensation, but it's basically, you know, the buddy, if you, know, you would have made these earnings, sorry, but for, you would have earned, had these earnings, but for the abuse. And it's crystal ball gazing, but it's at least giving people a chance to live and a chance to you know, know what it's like to have money and to be able to afford treatment and not live paycheck to paycheck. And, that's one of the real acknowledgements is just it's that and the actual taking the power back and releasing the handcuffs of control. Absolutely. And it's the guilt and like, sorry, it's the shame hopefully that we instill on these offenders that they don't feel, you know, most of them don't care. They don't go to bed and they're unable to sleep at night because they're thinking about the horrible things that they've done to children. You know, in most cases it's quite the opposite, but I think, you know, being able to, identify them, even if it's not in the media, but in a court setting where there's a bunch of people that are looking at them with just utter disgust. There's just something powerful even in that. Like there's so much to take away from it, even if it's not, you know, a huge lump sum payout in terms of having an outcome, you know, and I think justice looks so different to every single person and it might be civilly suing, it might be criminal, but it might just be that person being seen for what they are by a few different people and that validation as well. And I wanted just to to give that to so many people listening that it doesn't, there are options, but it it, it doesn't have to be that for you to, to get to a place to move forward as well. Yeah, I mean, there's always different options. I mean, it's when you see the offenders walk in the court, the, the time that makes my skin crawl is when they're, their wives are supporting them or when their, you know, their friends are giving them character references and things like that. It's like, no, you're, you're a pedophile. Like the amount of, um, I had one recently where, um, the offender pled guilty. And when we started taking his or suing him and getting the damages, he was calling me up and saying, how dare she does this? Or how dare she do this to me? You know? And he said to me, do you want to know why I abused her? And I said, no. I really don't. And then the wife got on the phone and started screaming at me. And I said, Hound, you knew your husband abused your daughter, didn't she? Oh, well, well, I said, and you stood by him. I said, you're lucky that, you know, you you didn't go to jail. And just, you know, the, the control that these offenders have and the narcissism they have and the fact that they're constantly trying to victim shame. It's like, no, you're, you're here because you abused the child. It's, you know, a, a seven-year-old cannot come on to you like you've tried to say in court. And, I mean, I, I've seen lawyer after lawyer fire clients before, sorry, fire, um, get fired by pedophiles before because they want them to run these untenable arguments and say that, you know, she was flirting with me and she came on to me. And no lawyer would ever stand up and actually go down that path of you know, a long-standing defense if she came on to me because they're like, no. Like it's they not might a legal say that. defense. <laughs> yeah, they might say that in court, but 
Um, a, a lawyer would never say that. It's usually the the offender themselves trying to, to make that submission. But it's yeah, that's another thing. They'll they'll do whatever it takes to get out of this, and they'll blame a seven year old or you know, blame a toddler for something that happened when you know, they can't consent. When you're under eighteen, you legally cannot consent. Yeah, they're just telling on themselves. Like it's gross. But you did make a reference there to the character references and, you know, we were both speaking before we started recording, mentioned Harrison and Jared, Harrison, James and Jared Grice, who have both been on this podcast, who are wonderful friends of Reclaim Me. But what I'd like to maybe, you've seen the other side of this with character references coming forward. What Mm. does that look like? And and are all states different? Like if, if somebody's found guilty of a sex offense, in a criminal setting and a civil setting, do they both offer character references? No, not not in a civil setting. There's no character references. It's just effectively a judge makes a decision on liability and quantum. Um, in the criminal side, they'll get character references if they've pled guilty or they've been found guilty. But, I mean, usually character references are for, you know, say, if your, your friend gets drunk and, you know, there was a guy in Adelaide this week that he stole a scissor lift at like four in the morning and drove it down Highley Street where the clubs are. And you know, a character reference for, for that guy would be, look, you know, he was just a drunk idiot. It was out of character. He didn't do anything like that. It was just a stupid thing. But the character references for sexual offenders are disgusting. It's like, you know, how can anyone say that a pedophile is a character? Um, I've, I had a fraudster matter a while ago where, his character references were getting read out in court and saying they were supporting him. But a prosecutor looked at one of these documents and said, this doesn't look right, and actually Googled the person who gave the reference. It was a fake person that didn't exist. You know, these character references aren't um, people coming to court. They're just, oh, here's five letters that I've given up from you know, Bob Smith where most people won't check it. But the character references are used to try to mitigate a sentence. But, you know, you saw Ashton Kutcher, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis last week that um, they came out and supported Danny Masterson and they're now backtracking from all this flack that they're getting. But yeah, Harrison and James's, so Harrison and Jared's campaign has been amazing because they're trying to say, look, you know, a pedophile can't be of good character. Like, you just can't. Like there's – you look at um, – you've probably had a friend that's been done drink driving or something still like that. You'll – you'll have a, a drink with them afterwards, you hang out with them. But if you know anyone that was a pedophile, you would never want to see them again. And that's why, you know, these character references shouldn't mean anything in sentencing because you're trying to say that, you know, oh, this guy's a good character, but pedophiles, they're known for manipulating and grooming. Of course they're going to try and get people to come out and support them. But, you know, the, these, um, the, your reference aid relevant campaign is just one more step in the right direction to survivors by simply saying, look, yeah, we acknowledge this person's a monster and we're not going to let you sit through you know, letter after letter in court hearing how good this person is. It's just it's something that shouldn't happen. Yeah, and there's so many, there's different types of child sex offenders as well, and I think the one that I want to raise is the one who's never going to stop, you know, the Larry Nasser of them all, the, the person who knows exactly what they're doing, who's trying to evade they're, you know, probably a psychopath as well with a yeah. severe, you know, horrible, they've, they've been diagnosed with pedophilic disorder. And those types of people will often go out of their way to build a persona 
to be a good person for that reason. And the person that comes to mind as well with that isn't just Larry Nasser, but Jerry Sandusky, who sexually offended against so many people. And again, they were just like, but it can't be Jerry Sandusky. He um, started these things that were wonderful for children. He did so many things for orphans. They adopted all of these kids. And it was just like, until you look back on it and you go, yeah, he said that they adopted all of these girls for his wife and he just wanted his own little boy, that that becomes nefarious. But these things are being used as good character references. And, you know, on the level of one thing, you know, with that, where you can go, somebody's actually built their entire life around a lie so that if they were to be found guilty of this, that then, you know, it's painting a different smoke screen so that they can't be found out. The very, very smart offenders. Then you've got the fucking idiots who, I don't know, maybe they, I don't know, what was the example you gave before where somebody, they'd saved somebody years and years ago? There was a drug deal in Adelaide and when he was getting his, um, his character references, he got someone that was actually drowning off a beach and he swam out with a, a surfboard and, Help them back on and, and so on back. They were saying how much of a good character he was. It's like, man, this guy's been importing drugs for years. Like, how, how, how is that? You know, he was surfing and the person couldn't swim properly. Like, you know, does that mean oh, I'm, you know, if someone's a pedophile, they get a little old lady that they've, you know, got their mail for for a year and they say, oh, yeah, he's lovely. So, no, there's, there's no good character reference for something like this. Like, if you abuse a child, no. Like, yeah, if, if it's, um, if it's something that's, uh, for instance, um, say if you're a, a medical student and you have a stressful exam coming up and you, know, you get 100 bucks out of the ATM because you're going getting a birthday present for someone and you've got three joints in the car and you get pulled over by a cop and the cop's like, you've got cash and three three you know joints. You, you, this is distribution of drugs and okay, that's when character references. You know, this girl's a, a medical student who's, was stressed for exams and thought she'd have a, you know, have a, a joint to to help relieve some stress. And you know, she's, you know, doesn't drink, drive, doesn't do anything like this. That's when it's good character. Where it's something that's a minuscule thing that's so out of character for someone. Not, uh, you know, a person who's been prolonged. Like, look at Danny Masterson. He he's had multiple allegations of rape against him. He had his his ex wife accused him with domestic violence. Like. That's not a person of good character. And the thing with good character references, if they keep them for sexual abuse matters, they should require the people writing the letters to go to court. And if someone likes that go to court and you know their their best friend's been charged with, you know, hundred counts of sexually abusing a child, the best question to ask these individuals would be, would you let this a person babysit your children? And watch how quickly that that good character reference is thrown out the water. Like there was Joffa, the Collingwood cheer squad leader in um, in Melbourne last year. He was he got twelve months home detention for pleading guilty to raping a child. So he catfished this person and raped them, and he got character references. And after the fact, um, it came out the character reference that was read out in court was for a job interview like five or six years before. And they would have never given him a good character reference for that. Like you imagine a offender um, simply tells a friend, oh, well, I'm, I'm being arrested for drug driving or drunk driving or, um, you know, stealing a, a loaf of bread from a shop. Can you give me a character reference? 
oh, you know, this was out of character for me to never do that. But you know, they could use that for all kinds of different crimes. Like it's, you, you shouldn't be able to use any character reference for anything like this. Yeah, because not only can it be made up, the characters, the person's good character can be completely by design. And I think, yeah. you know, with that case of uh, Joffa as well, like I remember Harrison and Jared and I and Braden Crane actually, we were all in Melbourne together having a bit of a survivor's catch-up. And we were talking, that was when that case had just happened, and we were discussing, you know, these character references and Harrison was talking about all the work he was going to start doing with this campaign and it was amazing. And I started to think, like, I wonder what happened with mine. I didn't even think about that. And so I asked my mum and, you know, I've kind of gone back. I don't have the full freedom of information back yet, but the same thing happened with the man who pled guilty to sexually abusing me. Apparently he had asked his boss at the time for a good character reference, but somehow this man was cross-examined to some degree, and I don't know in what capacity, but they basically said to him, would you have decided to give him a good character reference now after hearing all of the evidence against him? And he said no. So I, I'm looking forward to finding that out, but it seems quite crazy to me that these these references can have such a huge impact on outcomes when they've got nothing to do with the price of fish and there's no process around the legitimacy of them. Like you could just get somebody's letterhead, which would be so easy to doctor and yeah. give yourself a reference. And the, the thing you'll see at the end of sentencing remarks is, you know, the person was otherwise a good character. It's like, well, how, how does a judge know that? Like the person is, you know, 99.9999% of the time, invoking their right to silence they're they're not talking to the judge the judge wouldn't even know you know if um the person was a good character all they can see is oh well the guy's wife said he's good the guys and i say guy because it's you know i've never done an action against a female it's very rare that there was leaf uh uh leafer in new south wales as a teacher in victoria at the moment but it's very rare it's a female but you know they, they normally have their wives come along and their children and their golfing buddies and you know, the little friends I've had for years. I mean, you, there's literally nothing stopping you from going up to a random guy on the street and being like, I'll give you a hundred bucks, come give me a good character reference. Or a thousand yeah, was, cash up, you know? Yeah. I think Hamish and Andy just skipped years ago where they just called a random number and they said, oh, can you just pretend to be a referee for me? And they recorded this guy on air and he was a glowing reference for him. You know, it's, it's just concerning that, that this is actually a thing now and, you know, 2023, we're having to talk about you know, someone saying a pedophile is a good character. Like, it's yeah. shocking. Now, Harrison and um, Jay, uh, Jared have done amazing work on, on that campaign, and I'm so proud of them. They're like my little um, – oh, Harrison's like my you know, little brother of the, the Lord Chains field. I love it. Absolutely. And just back on that Hamish and Andy thing, just a funny thing, I went to school with James, who was the guy that they called, and oh, really? I remember, I, yeah, I remember he went, he got famous really quick. I was like, James, what the hell? But yeah, the caption was "greatest bloke in Australia," and it right. is. There's this, there's a thing that's kind of like, oh, if you say this to somebody, then it's going to be great. But it's just like, 
it's if they are from a good family, that seems to be something that judges take into consideration as something that means that they won't be charged as much. Same thing as them being of good character. But in my, like, in your view, don't you think that that proves the opposite? Like, so this person's of otherwise good character for sex offences. That means that they've gone further the other way to offend. They know what good means and they've actually gone the opposite way to do that. The same way that they say, oh, somebody's from a good family, they've got a good background. And it's just like, yeah, so they they weren't more likely to commit crimes because their parents weren't offenders. They've had a good education. They've never been through war-torn countries. Like, I don't know, like in my mind it just feels like you're further away from the offending. The fact that you have offended should mean more because you're in that position of being of good, of inadvertent Cobb's good character. Yeah. It's just a Hail Mary. Like, it's just it's just a, a last-ditch attempt for them to try and save face. And, I mean, I, I don't know why you would place much emphasis on someone you know, being a good bloke 20 years ago when you know, they're offending like this, especially um, the worst is when you see you know, someone's offended, you know, 50 years ago and they've been out this whole time and, you know, the, the judge will say, oh, you know, you've, you've been able to have a successful career and you've been able to make something of yourself and you haven't offended again. So, yeah, you haven't offended again that we know of. Yeah, that we uh, know of. Yeah, and, I mean, it's it's very rare that you see one person offend. Like, I, I saw a lot of institutions and a lot of schools around the country and the amount of times you've seen a teacher, you know, one instance there was a guy that abused um, uh, students in a, in South Australian school in 1969 and then the school moved him to New South Wales and then there was another person in 2001 or two that came out and you think, right, he abused someone in 1969 and again in 2001. You're like, there's got to be a lot more in between. Like you've got a starting point and end point. And you think, well, hang on, this, this person has been doing this for years, but only two people have come forward. And a judge might look at that and say, oh, you know, he's only offended twice over a 40-year you know, period. It's like, well, no, like the anecdotal evidence shows that he's still doing this. But I just don't get the, the fact that they can say, well, this person's only offended once for years when it's like, well, yeah, they've made something of themselves, but what about their survivors? Yeah, and like you said before with those statistics, right, it's of the 1,000, there's only six that make it. So are there other people that have come forward that police or otherwise have said, as we were discussing before, that they don't have enough evidence or there's not enough there, and that wouldn't be brought into court because it's not a formal record? Like there are so many barriers to this going through as well, right? Like, Yeah, there's, there's a school in South Australia where um, the principal just retired, but I was on first-name terms with him for a while where I'd call up and say, got another one, and, and it, again, it's – it, it's the reaction of, of especially principals where they're not like, no, really him? It's usually like, oh, okay. You know, the fact that their bosses are realising what they're like, it's, you know, it's something that it's not out of the blue. And if police, so if people right away go, oh, yeah, I saw that, if they knew what the person's like, how is that then a right thing for them to give them a good character reference when they're just like, oh, yeah, I can see that? Yeah, where's the shame? You know, there's no shame, and it's um, it is. It's just absolutely astounding. And 
you know, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing what you have, good and bad, um, and for showing the, the pathways and for for really championing this super campaign that you are because it's going to do so much for so many people if we can get this through. And for all of our listeners, they do love getting involved and being able to help out where possible if there is a call to action. So is there a way that they can support getting this legislation yeah, so there's if you go on um I'll I'll put it on my page, um, Andrew Carpenter Solicitor. It's a petition uh on um uh I've gone blank what the petition website is, but if you type in change.org. That's it. Um if you type in Peter Liddy, L I D D Y petition, um it's got about fifty three thousand signatures at the moment, but um that's uh, really the start of this. Um really just hit your local member of parliament. Um, and just anyone that can talk and or just anyone you can share this. I've uh, I've been flogging that uh, petition for years. It was a funny, there was an article in the Herald Sun a few months ago that said that I'm the most hated man in Australia by child sex offenders because I'm trying to get that changed. And I thought, that's a pretty fucking good title, if I don't mind. But, um, you know. I think that's going to be the title of this episode, if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that article. I, I said, to, I was on Gary Julian's podcast and, he said, that's a great title. I said, you know, besides the title of dad, so that's the best thing I can have. But if, if it means that I've got that title for doing this, then, you know, so be it. And, you know, try and get that petition done. I was meant to go to Canberra with uh, Grace Tame, Madeline West and Adam Washbourne from Fighters Against Child Abuse Australia. Um, we're still meeting with, with Parliament. We're going to be doing it after The Voice uh, because we don't want this to get uh, lost in the wash here. It's really an important issue that should be standalone. But, um, you know, follow uh, the Grace Tam Foundation, Fighters Against Child Abuse Australia, uh, Madeline West and Carly Ryan Foundation. And I always share stuff on my Instagram and um, uh, Facebook page uh, just on updates and news articles. But you know, the more people talking about this, the more people talking about, you know, the Your Reference Ain't Relevant campaign, the Grace Tam Harmony campaign, like, there's no one that's doing something for themselves. Everyone's trying to band together and change different things to make sure that we can make Australia a very dangerous place. And you would need people focusing on law reform and uh, sentencing and um, wording and legislation and damages. We need everyone to basically get together and fight the good cause and you know, share the petition, sign it, um, and just simply, I mean, the biggest thing that if everyone can get from this is just a, you know, not about the just thing, not about the criminal thing, but just realise this isn't your fault. And if you want to come out and talk to someone, there is always someone there to talk and, you know, come forward when you're ready. It's a, it's a heavy burden. And if there's people that, you know, are struggling, just think you've come through the worst of this and you are battling with the, the hardest thing is yourself and your own mind. So people are coming forward for this, you know, the bravest thing you can do. But it's weird. Whenever I see people come forward and report, you can honestly look at them right away and just see that they've just got this ton of weight off their shoulders. And, you know, I'm trying to be the voice of the voiceless. You know, I've, I've never, again, endured abuse. I wouldn't know the strength it takes to report it. But if I can be the mouthpiece of people, and try and help for change, then so be it. And, you know, Grace Tame, Madeline West, Adam Washbourne, Sonia Ryan, Harrison James, Jared, um, even Matt Barker at the Scouts at the moment, all these people are coming forward. And you know, if 
we're all putting this effort in. If one of us saves one life, then it's worth every every second of fighting uh, what I felt has been a losing battle for the past few years. But we'll get there. We're going to make this change and it'll make a lot more change in the future. Absolutely. And as the listeners of this podcast will know, I always say that those offenders have more than one victim and that means that we outnumber them. And when we band together, we can make some serious change. So I will pop all of those resources and links in the show notes of this episode so people can easily access them and sign that petition, which will be, it's a really quick thing to do. Um, Most of you have already signed some change.org petitions before, but if somebody was to email a member of parliament, do you have any templates prepared for them or any? No, just ask what their stance is on um, closing the superannuation loophole for survivors of sexual abuse and to really make sure they get the justice they deserve. Beautiful. So if if you've got the time to do that, if you're you know listening to this while you're going for a walk, you can chuck a, an email out from your Outlook or Gmail app. Um, you know, see if you can share it as well. I mean, these are the little things that are free that you can do that really can make major changes um, in laws and the way that we speak about them. But you know, what I'd suggest as well is that if you are listening to this podcast, you've at least taken one tiny step. So. It's not much of a taboo subject anymore. If you think, you know, 10 years ago, we weren't talking about mental health. You know, 10 years ago, we weren't talking about domestic violence. But, you know, the tides are turning. People are now realising that you know, if you're a grandparent, auntie and uncle, mother, father, this is something you need to turn your mind to. And it's something that's out there. And, you know, we're not going to go into graphic detail of what's happening, but we're just simply saying that this is an education tool for everyone to realise that, you know, if your child changes the behaviour and doesn't want to go somewhere, there might be a reason behind it. And, you know, simply trying to remove some risk from your child could save their life. Absolutely. But thank you so much, uh, Andrew, for coming on, for sharing what you have, um, and thank you, everybody, for listening to Reclaim Me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye.